Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Welcome to our special program, Light in Darkness. An astrologer reads The Journey into 2021. Hi, I'm Bishop Heather Shea of the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. Here with my co-host for Open Heart Conversations, Reverend Dr. Jose Roman, and our special guest, Archetypal Astrologer and Executive Coach, Dr. Lawrence Hillman. Dr. Hillman, let me begin then with the question everybody wants to ask. What's coming in 2021? Well, the short answer is it's getting better. So we'll just start with that. But before I answer the question more deeply, I really would like to speak a little bit to the foundations of the thinking that lie behind this kind of, you know, talking about the future and predictions and these kind of things. So is that okay with you? It most certainly is. So let's begin with the beginning. What is astrology? Uh, Is it a philosophy? Is it a science? Is it a spiritual practice? Well, I will start with a tongue-in-cheek answer and say what it's not. It is not a two-liner at the end of a back of a magazine that tells you your future for the day or for the week or for the year. It is actually a combination of all three. It is a spiritual practice for many, a way to understand themselves in the universe. It is also a science. There's a scientific component to astrology because a lot of research is done with it. There's math to it to calculate positions of heavenly bodies and so on. And it's a philosophy because it's a way of of believing and of understanding how you fit into the larger order of things. So it's all three. And, And what is archetypal astrology? What does that term mean? So it's sort of a a branch, if you want, of astrology, like there's different kinds of medicine or different kinds of psychology. There are different kinds of astrology. Archetypal astrology essentially says that the planets are archetypal figures, if you want. They are archetypal beings, uh, which means they are universal and everybody has them within them in some way and they express themselves collectively and individually in all of us. Can you say a little bit more about what an archetype is, Lawrence? Archetype is a universal pattern. It's something that we all recognize. So a well-known archetype is the lover or the warrior or the priest or the, the sovereign. These are archetypes that wherever you go in the world, you will find figures um, in art, in poetry, in music, in conversation, in fashion that represent these archetypal um, figures. And they will be expressed through the culture differently. But if you have um, what is called an archetypal eye, you can recognize the common denominator, the common language that speaks through all of us through an archetypal language. 
Now, could you explain to me, like, the, the, the play? Because you could make, it made a lot of sense when you put the characters into the play format or drama. Right. So I do think of it as a play. I like that metaphor. It is, you know, we are peopled inside by these different characters, these 10 archetypal figures, if you want. And depending on the situation that we find ourselves in, that part of us steps forward that's necessary for that moment. So if you are, um, when you fall in love, your inner lover steps forward, not that you choose to. It's an automatic archetypal um response if you want and if and it's very similar there are physical conditions to falling in love that are universal doesn't matter if you fall in love in southern alaska or northern sudan the the physical butterflies in the stomach and the dreaming of your lover all the time and these things are constants in the universe so the archetype is seeing that and recognizing the constants the universal patterns that we all share as human beings so, uh, Dr. Hillman, what is it that you mean when you say, as above, so below? That's an old, old saying um, that's been around for thousands of years and essentially means that we are not separate from the sky. We are not separate from anything for that matter. And that the planets are within us and we are within the universe. And so we are intertwined. And so the notion of that line is that what is happening above us at any given time is also happening within us at any given time. There is a correlation between what's in the heavens and what's in a human psyche or human soul or in, in your mind, if you want. And that is, um, they are, they are correlated through these universal principles, and there is no way of measuring that. It's not about a magnetic field or something like that. It is about the non-separation, the idea that what is above is happening at the same time synchronistically on Earth. And so if we read one system, we read the planets, we're also reading what's happening on the Earth. They are interconnected and always have been. Does, does astrology predict the future, or how does that work? No, I do not believe anybody can predict the future because what you're missing in the prediction um, is free will. We have free will and we have choice. So here's an analogy. I see astrology a lot like weather forecasting when you're looking at the future. So I can tell you with pretty good accuracy that it's going to rain in your life, that there's a big rainstorm coming for you in April, let's say, in your life. Now, what you do with that, if you decide, I hate the rain and stick your head under a pillow until the rain is over, or if you go out and jump around in the puddles, that's called free will. So I don't know what it means for you that it's going to rain in your life. That's the personal interpretation, the personal response to the predictability that there will be a rainstorm. But um, we all respond very differently. And so some people have suffered tremendously through this current time, while others have thrived because we respond differently to the same circumstances. That's really interesting, Dr. Hillman, because <clears throat> then, then astrology really does not condemn us, as, as it were, to, to a specific fate or destiny. No, it's the opposite, actually. And I, and I talk about this with my clients almost daily. Um, some people look to astrology or any kind of fatalistic predictions to say, well, it's not my fault, it's in my stars. 
Uh, even Shakespeare used that line. And so it's not like that. It is when you know, because you have free will and choice, when you know the weather, in other words, when you know what's going on in your psyche, when you know what's happening inside, you have a choice. And so it's actually the other way around. The more you know about yourself, the more responsibility you have to make the life that you can to make the best out of the situation that you're in. It gets back to, um, you know, making, making lemonade out of, out of lemons if you happen to be in, uh, you know, in a lemon situation. So that's. So free will is really important as something that we have to decide and to respond to the, you know, the circumstances that are going on globally with our neighbors and within us. Yeah, th- thank you for that. And, and I've experienced that, you know, during, during this time, during 2020, of how people are adjusting and reacting to similar situations certainly it's been tumultuous in many ways now now going into 2021 i happen to be you know an aquarian uh, and whatever whatever that means but 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 how does that work how does how do the zodiac signs or how does that fit into uh, the whole process so when we talk about zodiac signs, it is a, a, a large and huge simplification of astrology. Essentially, zodiac signs tells us where the sun, um, so your sun sign, where this, what sign or what part of the zodiac the sun was in when you were born. And that is a huge limitation. It tells you a little bit about somebody, but it is so limited that, you know, any astrologer would never talk about sun signs without immediately connecting it also to the other nine bodies. There are, you know, we talked about theater. There are 10 actors on the stage. And when you talk about sun signs and you say I'm an Aquarian, you're essentially talking about one actor on the stage and the other nine are being ignored. But you could have the sun in Aquarius and therefore have some of the traits that are typically Aquarian if you want. But you could have six planets in Virgo and be much more of a Virgo sort of type than somebody who uh, has just the sun in Aquarius. So it's, it's a combination. It's a complex thing. It is human nature to want to have simple answers, to want to have quick fixes and labels on everything. That's what we all do. And it is difficult to stay within a complex, rich, imaginative language that doesn't necessarily have quick answers and quick fixes. So the answer is that you saying that you're an Aquarian simply means to me that you have the sun in Aquarius, which says a little bit something about you, but it doesn't say really anything meaningful about it. It's like saying I'm, you know, I'm from this country or I'm, I'm six foot tall or I'm, you know, white skinned or I'm dark skinned or whatever we are. Those are very, very broad labels that really don't say anything about who we really are. So sun signs to me mean nothing. Yeah, you know, and I have to ask, uh, I have heard that this is, you know, quote, the dawning of the age of the Aquarius, the beginning of the age of Aquarius. What, what does that mean? And is, is, that, is that so? Yes. So every 2,000 years or so, give or take, um, we move collectively history, if you want, moves into a new era, one of these eras of, of, or periods that are about, give or take, 2,000 years long, based upon the procession of the equinox. And at this time, we are moving from Pisces to Aquarius. Now, 
when exactly that happens, it's not on a day. It's not you can set your clock and now click and switched over. It's not like that. My friend and colleague, Ray Grassi, has spoken about, um, uh, you know, the dawning of the age of Aquarius, as, this, as the song says. And, you know, when is it dawn? When you see the first rays over the horizon? Or is it when the sun is fully up above the horizon? It's a period of time. It may take us 100 years to go through this process. Certain things that are happening in the world at this time still belong to the age of Pisces, like religious wars and religious fighting and, and the fight between science and belief and these kind of things. Those belong to the Pisces era. But many things that are emerging at this time clearly belong to the age of Aquarius, including, you know, talking about going to other planets, so space flight at the level that it is now, um, including the internet, being connected with everybody, social networks, connecting with people, um, all of this is are clearly Aquarian symbols and our symbol and our, our, our stories that tell us that we are in a large way now. Um, you know, entering very strongly the age of Aquarius. And a lot of people are afraid of the age of Aquarius um, and what it brings and connectivity. And they want things to be the way they were in the age of Pisces. And it's not that that's not how things unfold naturally. And so a lot of people are struggling with this shift. Dr. Hillman, you'll soon be speaking to us about light in darkness. Um, many, many spiritual traditions speak of light and darkness. Light is usually good. Darkness is usually bad. It seems to me that archetypal astrology may be having a, a rather different perspective than this. Tell us a little bit about how you speak of light and darkness. Yes, and that's a really important piece. So um, I like to think of the yin-yang symbol, which is a great simplification of the the light and dark sort of metaphors but the yin yang symbol shows us is that in an, in a balanced world in an ideal balanced state there's an equal amount of both present and that if we have too much light or too much darkness then the balance is upset and it's not a, if you want a perfect union of the two and culturally particularly the West has an Abrahamic traditions have picked light as being good and dark as being bad, sort of heaven is light and hell is dark, sort of very much simplified, but that's sort of the core idea. And the problem with that is that it's not balanced, that one does not exist without the other. And that um, we need to make sure that we understand that both halves are important all the time. So, so Dr. Hilmes, explain to us the, uh, yin and yang and what, and what that is. So, you know, when kids ask me what it means, I like to use a simple metaphor. I say, you know, yang is when we're all walking in a straight line and um, we're going someplace, but all we can see is the rear end of the person in front of us and kids get a kick out of that. So we're not connecting. Whereas yin is when we're all sitting in a circle and everybody's connecting with everyone else, but we're not going anywhere. 
And so we really need both. Human beings want to connect. They also want to go places. And so we need to have a, a, both the yin and the yang well developed within us. We need to both be proactive, going in directions, um, moving along, um, you know, having firmness, being assertive at times. We need all of that. And we also need to be receptive and full of imagination and just sit still and do nothing and let the universe speak to us in other more mystical ways. So we need both those capacities. And that's what the yin and yang very much simplified to me means. So, so Dr. Hellman, with all of this as foundation, let's go back to our original question. What is coming in 2021? So let's start with where we are. Um, the title of this open heart conversation was, you know, light in darkness. We are at the darkest time of the year. We are midwinter. And, you know, while many, many traditions around the world celebrate some kind of a light event, event of, of, of you know, rekindling lights or lighting lights or something like that, um, particularly uh, in the northern half of, of, uh, of uh, the, the, the globe, we have these midwinter light festivals which include Christmas, which include Hanukkah, and even the more modern version of Kwanzaa is about lighting light in the darkest moment. It's a way of celebrating and inviting the lighter time of year, the summer and the spring, the spring first and then the summer, to come back. And it's, it's celebrating and honoring the internalization, the looking inward, the moment of reflection, the quietude of, you know, in many places, at least in the past, you know, covered with blankets of snow, that time of introspection. And so um, we are at that time of year, we are at that moment in the year where we are celebrating the, the light, if you want. Now, it happens to be an extraordinary solstice this year. And the remarkable event is that on exactly on the winter solstice, on the 21st of December, on the shortest day of the year and the longest night in the Northern Hemisphere, the planets Saturn and Jupiter are aligning in a closeness that they haven't aligned in for about 800 years. So it's an extraordinary moment. There's a lot of talk about that in the media right now and, you know, get a telescope and go out and look at it and this and that. But let's think about it symbolically. What does that mean? And by the way, this is only one of several things that we'll talk about moving into 2021. But this is kind of the the catalyst, if you want, of, of an important shift in human consciousness that I see at this time. Saturn and Jupiter align about every 20 years or so, so that's not so rare. However, when they align, they also align in an element because they align in a sign in the, in the zodiac and the signs are associated with elements. So for the last 200 years or so, the uh, alignment of Jupiter and Saturn has been almost exclusively in, the, in an Earth sign. 
the Earth signs are um, are are Virgo and Capricorn and Taurus. So the Jupiter and Saturn have aligned in one of those three signs for the last couple of hundred years. Now, it is um, different because now, for the first time uh, in those two hundred years, except for some very rare um, occasions in between. They are aligning in an air sign, which is much more mental. Earth is much more physical and materialistic, and air is much more mental. So the image that I got for that is it is as though we've been toying and uh, with our heads down, you know, in the material world, as though we have our head on a on a um, um, on a on a, on a conveyor belt, you know, doing the daily chores and the work. And suddenly we have this uplifting moment where we look up and we start to think and we start to wonder and we start to ask questions. So a lot of the mechanistic, just let's just, you know, the, the belief systems that are, that are in, entrenched, a good word for all that earth in us, you know, this is how things are have been uprooted and will continue to be uprooted and they're now being seeded by something new, by new ideas. So I'm very interested in, in the newness of this. It's also happening, this alignment is happening, as I said, in an air sign. And the sign that it's happening in is Aquarius. And so back to what you said, Heather, is that, and it's not anywhere in Aquarius, there are 30 degrees of Aquarius, but it's in zero degrees Aquarius which happens to be sort of the, if you want, the most intense part of the Aquarius sign. So this is a very intense Aquarian energy that is awakening. And to me, it is a kind of a seeding of new ideas and an enlightenment. It's like we're, 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 we're seeing light, but also feeling lighter by looking up and no longer just dredging along with sort of no sense of what is this all about. Now, this comes on the heels of a time where um, this year in 2020, astrologers have been writing about 2020 for a long time because we had this extraordinary Pluto-Saturn conjunction that I wrote about in the spring. There's an article out there uh, on COVID that I wrote that, that people can find on my website. And that speaks to this extraordinary year and the, that started really back in 2008, but that culminated this year, which was a year of tremendous deconstruction, a taking down of the structures that we have believed in and known about globally. It is an extraordinary year. And some of that is now ending towards the end of the year. Saturn is no longer conjunct um, Pluto. It is now moving into Aquarius, as I said, to conjunct with Jupiter. It's a very different energy. So some of the heaviness and some of the tremendous um, difficulties and suffering that is still ongoing, let's be very clear, there's still a tremendous amount of suffering out there, but there is something new. And the two big things that have happened, at least in the States that are new, of course, are a new president and vaccine, both of which are symbols of change and symbols of something new that will no longer continue things the way they have been over this very difficult year. That is a, an important shift 
That's what I mean with lightness in, um, in the darkest hour. And again, I'm fully aware that we're absolutely not through this. There may get much, much worse before it gets any better. Um, I understand that, but there is hope and there is something new and there is a, um, a light shining in that. You know, in the yin-yang symbol, um, in the traditional forms of it, there is a white dot inside the black half and a black dot inside the white half. And this reminds me of the, the white dot in the black half where there is um, an, an, an alighting or a, an awakening or a crystallization of what I have called the feminine or the yearning or the yielding or the understanding that comes from the yin side of, of the yin-yang symbol. So this is really, so, so light and darkness really means that we are becoming to see the value also, again, with the two big movements of our time, to see the value of the yin in the collective culture. And, um, you know, it is extraordinary. Again, I talked about um, Saturn um, and, and Pluto aligning this year and the difficulties that brought the deconstruction now that everything has been destroyed in so many ways, there is a, um, in, the, in the tradition of the phoenix, where you need the ashes to have something new to awaken, um, you have a moment of rebirth that's going on everywhere as well. And that, I think, is, is, a, is, a, is a critical part of, 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 of where we are. Um, and this brings me to a particularly important moment for the United States. While the whole world overall, you know, is reeling tremendously under COVID and all the consequences of that, and people and, and countries are, are twisting and turning in all sorts of pain and suffering, this is a particular moment in the American history, and I will explain why. Planets, as they go around the sun and as it appears from us as they go around the earth, because that's how we see them in the geocentric astrology, that's how we look at it. We, we imagine them going around us because that's what we see. Planets have an orbital period, how long it takes them to go from wherever they are in the sky right now to coming back to that place. So we recognize that the easiest um, when we look at the moon, the moon comes back, you know, to full moon every 28 days or so. We also recognize that when we celebrate our birthdays, when we go, we, the, the sun comes back to the same place it was in the sky at the moment of our birth on our birthdays. We celebrate that. That's the solar return, if you want. This is Bishop Heather Shea of the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. We'll return in a minute with Dr. Lawrence Hillman. Thank you for listening. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. We now return to the journey into 2021 with Dr. Lawrence Hillman. Um, Pluto, the slowest and most mysterious and also most 
important and in my mind by far the most powerful of all planets is um, and, and the best representation, if you want, of the yin energy, Pluto is, um, takes 248 years or so to go around the zodiac once. It so happens that America was founded, 1776, is almost exactly 248 years ago. So America is at this time coming up to its Pluto return. Now, America's never had a Pluto return. Older countries such as Britain and France have had Pluto returns before, but we have never had that. So there's something particularly important about this time for us. The exact date of the Pluto return for the United States, depending on how you figure it, is approximately 2022 to 2024. But what does it mean? And in a sentence, for me, it means that America is now coming face to face with its legacy. What is really the history of that we have created? Who are we really? It is a reckoning. It is a coming to terms. You know how we think about, you know, what our year has been on our birthday? At least I do. I always wonder, you know, what has this year been about and what do I want to do different next year? It's a little bit like that, except we get to do that every year with a solar return. With Pluto, you get to do that every 248 years. Because Pluto is so slow, we need to give this a lot of leeway on both sides. So, you know, many astrologers believe that the 20s, the 2020s, really are the year, are the, the decade, if you want, of the Pluto, Pluto return for the United States. <laughs> and this death and rebirth dynamic that we have seen this year, so many things that died off, you know, simple as restaurants going out of business that you love to go to and people suffering and, of course, literal death all over the place. This is painful. This is hurtful. This is tremendous, tremendous suffering. And on a more spiritual level, there has been a lot of inner death in people. People have wondered, I mean, you know, what, what, what needed to die? I no longer want to do this. What am I even doing with my life? People have reflected a lot upon their own, um, not just their own, um, you know, their own death, but also about just what, what am I doing with my life? Because suddenly life has become so much more valuable in a strange way. So what I see is a, is a time where as the phoenix that rises out of ashes, um, and it's interesting here, I have the Mountain Astrologer, which is a publication that astrologers read all over the world. You know, if there's a phoenix on the front of the, um, of the, of the cover, this is a time where there is a rebirth, there is hope, there is a, a longing, a desire, a looking towards signs of a phoenix arising. That goes very well together with the, um, with the, 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 the light in the middle of the winter or the darkest moment. So I see that as where we're heading collectively. This is not a short process. We are not through it yet. I urge people to have patience. I urge people to have um, consciousness about this and to hold that idea in their consciousness because we are creating the future. It doesn't happen without us. Dr. Hellman, could you, you just hold us a lot. Could you give us a headline? And then I'm not going to summarize it right. But what I really heard was it's a time of rebirth. It's every time of renewal. It's time of the ending. And also in the sense that it is a time of, of 
thoughtfulness coming forward, but certainly would you, would you be able to, to, to crystallize that? Cause you just gave us a whole lot of really great information. And for people like me going, let's summarize that. What, what, how might you do that? Thank you. That's a great question. And I tend to do that. So that's helpful. Um, I, th- I think that we're in a time of transformation. So we need to accept the death within us, around us, and and everywhere as a way of letting go of the old um, within us that we no longer need. And that does not mean that we don't need the people who have departed. That is a horrible um, thing that is happening all over the world. Of course not. What I'm referring to is that we have an opportunity when there is loss everywhere, we have an opportunity to reflect on our own inner loss and what we might want to clean out and get rid of and no longer hold because we don't need it. And at that moment, then we are in that darkest place of having cleaned out. You cannot get pregnant if you're pregnant. And if something new is supposed to enter, if we're supposed to start carrying something new within us, we can't do that. We can't let that shimmer of light happen in our own inner fertile space unless we accept some kind of um, ashes that have happened. And so it's good to look around, even take stock of what has died in our lives, and then start to plant and imagine new creative ideas and to find that spark of light within ourselves. I've been saying that to my clients all year. Where is the spark within your life right now that needs to be rekindled? That's the question to ask this midwinter. Where is the spark in your life that needs to be rekindled? Because it's there for everybody and it's only possible to see it. You know, if you're in a bright light of activity and of doing and of, you know, success and all of these things, it's very hard to see little ambers that need to be rekindled. But when it's dark around you, those can be rekindled. That's the gift of the midwinter. So, Dr. Hillman, how can someone prepare for this time? I love that question. So the important thing is that, uh, back to your question about fate before, it is not that, you know, we're not fated. We are not puppets on strings and the planets move around and therefore, you know, things happen to us and, and at willy-nilly of some kind of a superpower that's, that's, uh, that's controlling us. That's really not what astrology says at all. The idea is that we are co-creating the universe. And so, you know, it matters what we believe. It matters what we think because we're putting that energy out there. We are the energy of the universe. So if people start to believe and start to act as though they actually have responsibility for what is coming, then the create their reality that they are creating in their minds actually becomes reality outside. It's not that there's some kind of a reality and we're, we're, you know, that's some kind of a, a play set and we're, and we're figures that are being moved around in it. That's not how it works. We are that reality. We are consciousness. And so when we make shifts and changes in ourselves, when we bring light into our own consciousness by getting clarity, by thinking things through, by lifting ourselves out of the muck, of just doing and actually having conversations with people, actually exchanging, exchanging ideas, being interested in ideas, being interested in science, being interested in 
where does where do ideas come from and and what is new about this life of mine and questioning and asking and thinking when we do those things that are all air activities we are aligning ourselves with the possibilities of the moment that is a gift that we all have and we all can do or we can say i'm not going to do that stick my head in the sand so to speak and if we do that we are we are not going we are not shifting with the times that are shifting so it really is about a free will and choice that we have to align ourselves with the future everyone has a responsibility to do that everyone can do that no matter who you are where you are what you're doing and that's how you prepare yourself is you go with the flow it's sort of like the river is flowing the river of time is flowing and you could choose to swim upstream or you can choose to you know not be in the river but the river of time is moving on and if you want to sort of be with it uh if you want to be woke as they say then the way to be woke is to be in the river and to flow with where it's going where the natural order of things is flowing at this time which is definitely more hopeful than it was a year ago let me ask you another question dr hillman you said that in archetypal astrology light is not necessarily good or darkness bad right that's kind of not not the perspective here so if that's the case then my question to you is if i'm supposed to be cultivating the light within me what is that what is the light within me is it my passion is it my vision is it, what is the light within me i think it's different for every person i think it's a, i would think of the light as a spark it is it is so that would mean yes it is passion so for some people it's like you know that i've always wanted to do this but i've never really stepped into and doing that that could be the light um you know dare but it's also about there's a certain amount of rationality that goes with this so a certain amount of clarity light is about clarity and about seeing shining light on something and so you know shining light on our on our inner darkness shining light on our inner on our feelings speaking about our feelings getting clarity on how we feel about things or why we feel about things in certain ways and wondering why we do things the way we do things so wondering about the stuff even wondering about our imagination and then making our imagination seen to the world which is creativity by definition so this is um to me what we can do is we can step forward and actually um you know find whatever it is for us that needs to be sparked so you could imagine you're sitting close your eyes and imagine yourself sitting at a campfire and by yourself in the middle of nowhere and you and there are some embers in the in the uh in in the fire pit they're almost out but they're still there and if you sit quietly and meditate for a while you might come up with some thoughts about what those embers are in your life and then ask yourself what you need to do to bring those embers back to a full 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 flaming fire that would be the sort of the analogy and they're different for everybody but that's the activity that's the to-do list if you want yeah and thank you Dr. Hellman for that and something that that has been very helpful during this time is really to look at what needs to be re-sparked and re-sparked perhaps in, in a different way or in a unique way. Uh, I'm going to comment for those of of you who are uh watching us in video and perhaps those of you who are watching or listening to us online, the light has shifted during this 
presentation. We often record these in the morning and we're recording it in the afternoon. So it's interesting to watch the dynamics of light and darkness just just uh, for this recording. I think it's something, you know, the universe uh, speaks in there in her own way. Uh, and speaking of her, we have a little bit of time. Uh, Dr. Hammond, would you talk more and speak more for those who are listening about, um, we'll just call it the rise of the feminine or what, what's happening around that? Because some, something's going on there. Yeah, so if you look, you don't have to look too far these days to find some kind of comments that there's a rising of the feminine. To me, that means what I said earlier, which is it's the rising of the yin. We can see it in, in, you know, people taking to the streets. That's sort of an obvious way that the yin is rising in my mind in the two ways that I've already mentioned. But it also is a greater awareness and a greater need for balance within individuals. And so, um, if we talk about, there's a term that I have, that I coined in my dissertation called the yin function, which is essentially a person's ability to connect to their yin or to their, if you want, feminine side to make it, make it a sort of a little bit more popular term. I stay away from that term usually because that's a loaded word and people get very worried if to use language like that. So the yin function is essentially somebody's capacity for their own inner feminine capability, their ability to yield, to listen, to be nurturing, to have imagination, to, um, to face their own inner richness and these kind of things. That's a yin capacity. That's the yin function. And it's not gendered because you have plenty of men who have a very strong yin function and you have plenty of women who have a very non-well-developed yin function. So it is really nothing to do with gender. It has to do with our ability for those skills, as I have shown before, and those capacities is really what they are. And so the rising of the feminine means that those qualities are sought after much more. If you are a person who is particularly, um, you know, yang in the world, if you're particularly masculine and driven and aggressive and and, you know, cut down your enemy and you think that that gives you strength, you're actually one-sided because your yin function is actually is not well-developed. And so you're actually limping along on half the yin-yang symbol. That is a weakness in my mind. And there's a price to pay for that, that usually you're also lonely. Usually you feel not loved. Usually you feel, um, you know, you're overcompensating in many ways and so forth. So, what I like about the idea of the yin rising is that it gives it because it's sort of in the air. It's like, you know, it's there now is that it's easier for those with a not so strong yin function. And often those are men because they've been taught that, you know, having feelings is a bad thing or being nurturing is not for men and all these kind of stereotypes that are still out there um, much too often. So, um, you know, being in a time where the yin is rising is a time where it is easier to tap into that energy. And it's easier for men today to say, well, I'm staying at home and I'm taking care of the children and, and you know, my partner works or things like that. So that's not, doesn't, isn't frowned upon in the same way as it would have been. Or for women to be more assertive in their yang function and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm strong. I don't have to be walked over. I can be, you know, all those things that, that the Me Too movement is bringing to light and the empowerment in the most literal sense of women. But it is, so, so 
traditionally, Yang roles have been masculine or male, literally male as in men, and yin um, and yin has been assigned to women. That's a tremendous oversimplification and has caused a tremendous amount of pain. And we are in a different era right now. Even the fact that we no longer have two genders, we have a whole spectrum of genders. That's part of what um, um, you said before, Dr. Roman, that there is a there is, you know, it's black and white isn't what black and white used to be. It's not that simple. There are now lots and lots of different colors in between. And, um, and so I'm very excited about this time because it's easier for people to be enriched and to have the full yin yang combination, if you want, and actually for men to speak to their feelings and to their, to their sensitivity and to their nurturing abilities and to their imagination more than anything, rather than being very limited. And you even see this happening in businesses. The business is recognizing that, that, you know, if we're just, if we're, most businesses have been based sort of, if you want on a Yang model, you know, it's a, it's a jungle out there, you know, kill the competition, winning at all costs, um, you know, data driven and evidence-based, all those ideas are Yang. And that no longer works very well. Sure, it works for a lot of businesses still. But on the whole, it is a model that is dying and that is not fit for the future in my mind. We really need to have new language that includes yin language in businesses if we are to be successful in business, especially if we are talking about um, you know, younger employees who have a much greater sense of balance between yin and yang than, than the older generation in my mind. So Dr. Hillman, in, in essence, what you're speaking to, it's, it's, neither, it's neither black nor white nor male nor female. You seem to be speaking to a time where it's about integration and balance. Correct, correct. And it's also not androgynous. It's also not um, genderless. There are, there are moments where all of these, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's about, a multiple, about multiple capacities that human beings have. We're back to the archetypes where the archetypal energies, when we think of ourselves as multiple as opposed to singular, I am not this. I have all these different parts in me that can step forward and can do things in different times. At times, I need to be a nurturer. At times, I need to be a warrior. It depends what situation I'm in. That's a very different model than saying, I am like this, therefore, I'm not changeable. So we're not talking about typology with astrology. That's, again, where some signs are so limiting because they're essentially typology. If you're a Scorpio, you're this. If you're an Aries, you're that. No, we're talking about a multiplicity, a complexity. This is difficult to grasp. It's not simple. We can't label it. We can't um, walk around with a label on our, uh, you know, on our forehead and say, I am this, because we are multiple and we have lots of different capabilities. An archetypal perspective allows us to bring forth and to express them given the situation. So we have way more, it's like we can play many more roles than a simple, than a simplistic. We're not typecast or stereotyped into a particular role, which we have been doing for so long. Uh, and, and I would appreciate this. It's, it's going into a little more detail uh, because as you were saying, you know, the, the men are usually the warrior, the women, you know, uh, or more the nurture that's changing, but I'm seeing more of this, you know, women have to be warriors now or the heroine's journey is to become a warrior. 
and which is really becoming the master. Anyway, can you can you give some you know maybe advice or thoughts for women who say you know now I have to lean in and become the warrior, and and that's kind of upsetting upsetting the cart too. Right. And so first, I'd like to respond to the idea that we have to become anything. We don't have to become anything. What we have to do is activate or awaken the parts of us that already exist. Everyone has. In this model of the world, in this philosophy, in this belief system, everyone has already within them 10 archetypes. They are powerful, they are able, and they're acting out in some way, shape, or form. If you don't like it or repress it because you were told that girls don't, you know, don't uh, show their teeth or because or only when they're smiling or that men don't cry or whatever the, the lines were that have, that have allowed you to repress or to sort of hide a certain part of yourself because that wasn't that wasn't valued in the way you were raised or in your culture or whatever, then it doesn't mean it's not there. It's still there. Uh, very often, these parts that we have repressed or hidden come up um, as someone we look for in the world. Extremely common. Um, a classic example is somebody who is not comfortable with a warrior, marries somebody who's very aggressive and, and treats them badly. Extremely common. Anybody who's in the helping professions can give you umpteen examples of how that works. So these dynamics are well known. I'm giving them an archetypal um, explanation. <clears throat> in addition, so, so it's not about becoming something or overplaying something else. It's recognizing that we all have all of these parts in them. So if, if, if a woman becomes a man or a man becomes a woman in the sense that, that we're now going to act like that, because I think that's what the warrior is, that's, or that's what the nurturer is, that's an extremely limited view of the archetype. There are as many ways to express the warrior as there are people in the world. There's not a, a, a formula that says, here's what a warrior looks like. If you have an archetypal sensibility, you can recognize the warrior no matter where you go in the world. And you can be curious about how this warrior is expressing herself or himself in the culture, in the person, or in the art, or in the food that you are enjoying in a foreign place that you've never been to. That's the archetypal eye. That's a rich way of living. And it starts to bring us together because we start to see, you know what, we have much more in common than we have separate. Because what we have in common is that we all have this inner archetypal richness <clears throat> that we can recognize in each other. So, so, so to me, it's not about, it's not about, you know, um, Hey, I finally found my power. It's like, where has this been in my life all the time? Because that warrior has been there. It might've been in a, in, in an abusive spouse. It might've been in an angry child. It might've been in a parent who put me down, but the archetype has been present in your life. So be more curious about where the arch sh shine some light on where that has been a dark spot for you that you haven't been able to see. So therefore, dark in the sense that it's been in the shadows, bring that forward and then decide how you want to live it. We all have license to live all 10 archetypes, however we want. Um, we have choice for that. Dr. Hillman, if someone is interested in living life and in a way that is this rich and is interested in getting more information on how octopal astrology can inform that rich life, where can they go? 
Well, there is a, a fabulous school that I um, strongly endorse, and uh, there are some of the greatest astrologers alive are teaching there. It is called Astrology University, simply astrologyuniversity.com. I strongly recommend people can go there. There are lots of courses from beginners to experts that you can take there on all subjects you could imagine. And of course, people are free to go to my website, lawrencehillman.com, and look around there. There's a bunch of articles, books, things you can look at, things I've done, lectures. And again, this COVID article that I mentioned about the Pluto-Saturn alignment of this year. So those will be two places I would say start there. And if someone has a burning question they really want to ask me, you know, they can contact me through my, through my website, of course. One of the things I'd like to ask is, is, is Dr. Hillman, tell us a little bit about your background because it's so extraordinary. And many of us have had readings before or, again, you know, pulled out that newspaper to find out what's going to happen to me next week. Uh, this has really been extraordinary and very helpful. What, what makes you different? <laughs> well, um, thank you for that. So, so I was born and raised in Switzerland, in Zurich. My father is James Hillman and was the, um, the, the founder of Archetypal Psychology. So I've been sort of marinated in archetypes, you know, all my life. I was introduced to astrology at the age of 16. That is now, what is that, 43 years ago, and I never looked back. I immediately knew this is what I was going to do all my life. And so it's been a passion that I do. I, I, um, I talk to people. I'm also a business consultant and a business coach, and I work with people on all levels all around the world with all kinds of capacities, helping them to... Yeah, live a, a richer, fuller life. My specialty is, is life purpose and calling, which is beyond what we have time to talk about today, but there is a bunch of material on that on my website. But that's what I mostly help people with is how to align themselves with what they came here to do in the first place. And that's not a job description, it's a soul learning. And that really is what interests me and keeps me going and doing this work on a daily basis. You've been listening to our series, Open Heart Conversations, offering dialogues from the world's religions and spiritual traditions, recorded at the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. Please visit us in Manhattan or online at upspiritualarts.org. Until next time. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.